the sellers that were most educated about what they were facing through the sale process often ended up with the best deal terms. Um, so we want our exit factor clients to be fully prepared um, going into that process, whether they hire a business broker, an investment banker, and maybe decide to do it on their own. Um, we want to make sure they're, they're fully educated on what to expect um, during that timeline. The following is brought to you by Thrive, the end-to-end -end client experience platform that helps you get the job, manage the job, and get credit. Hey, hey, this is Gordon Henry at Winning on Main Street. And this week, we're fortunate to meet Jessica Fialkovich. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thanks, Gordon. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, really excited to have you. So everybody should really listen up because today we've got a true expert on a very important topic, which is how you can sell your business. Jessica Fialkovich, she runs Exit Factor, a company that guides sellers through selling a business. She's also just released a book called Getting the Most for Selling Your Business. So Jessica, you've had an impressive run building Exit Factor, your small business M&A service, as well as writing and speaking. It'd be great if you could just in your own words, give us a brief overview some of the highlights of your career uh, leading up to the company you run today. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. Um, so I was not that, you know, entrepreneur that was selling lemonade on, on the street corners at 12 years old. I uh, actually started in corporate coming out of college, but through the recession, um, I was laid off and my um, then fiance, now husband at the time, and I decided our only safe road of protecting our careers was really to start our own business. Um, and we're 24 years old. I call, call it my early life crisis. And I thought at the time it'd be fun to sell wine. Um, our friends owned a wine store that they did really well with. Um, so we, um, you know, what we call, you know, R and D or ripped off and duplicated their idea in a different market. And we opened a retail wine boutique, um, that quickly grew into kind of more of an online collector's outlet, um, trading high-end wine all across the world. And never planned on building it that that big or that intense. So 30 months after our opening, we actually exited and sold that business, um, wow. knowing we wanted to get back more to like the B2B type sector that we had both come from. Um, so we sold that business in 2012. And that's really what exposed me to small business M&A. Um, I knew like I wanted to sell the business. Like I said, it was my early life crisis. So I wasn't going to sell wine at Decanted the rest of my life. Like, so I, I knew we were going to sell or get rid of it at some point, um, in the future, but I really didn't have a strategic plan to exit or build it to sell or anything like that. So that experience taught me a lot about the small business M&A market and really developed a passion for me and in, in giving it back and making sure small business owners like myself understood um, what was in, in, in what entails going through an exit and preparing for one. Um, so that's what led me on my journey into that industry. I bought my first business brokerage office in uh, 2013. Um, grew that to three states, uh, regional office, and over the last uh, 10 years, going on 11 years now. And then, um, you know, Exit Factor evolved out of that as a, a consulting division. So that's been my focus, but it all started with that first deal that we did personally. Great. Uh, thanks. And that's, a, that's quite a story in a fairly short period of time. You know, I, I like to always uh, tell our listeners what they should get out of this episode. Uh, I think in this situation, it's pretty clear, but it seems like 
for a small business, whether or not you're thinking about exiting the business like today or maybe just sometime down the road, um, they should always be kind of thinking about it in the back of their mind. And that's why I think having you on the show with the wealth of information that you can provide is really valuable for listeners so that they can start to prepare themselves, even if it's just a hazy thing off in the future, but have that in mind because I'm sure what a lot of you are gonna tell us is about how you should prepare, right? Right, yes, yeah. Okay, so who are your typical clients? Who are the sellers? Who are your typical clients? What do you do for them? Uh, let's start there. Yeah. So typically um, with Exit Factor, we're working with businesses that I would say some of them don't have a defined time period for exit. Like you said, Gordon, like a, a lot of what we teach is that you should be running your business like you could sell it at any time. Um, actually, the, su the surprising part, what I learned in the marketplace is that 95% of sales are not dictated by some timeline. Um, they're dictated by some personal circumstance that arises in an entrepreneur's life. Mm. Um, a move, burnout, new baby, retirement. These are all things that we can't exactly predict um, when and if they're going to happen to us. So typical clients, yes, typically we work with people that are likely going to exit within the next um, one to five years. But some of our clients, I'd say about a third of them don't have a defined timeline to exit. They're just trying to maximize their value and their profitability out of their company so they can exit at any time. Um, we do truly work with small um, to mid-sized businesses. So, you know, the, the largest company or the smallest company we've worked with is a startup, zero revenue, largest company, about 30 million. Um, but our average or median sized companies just below a million in revenue. Um, and that's really the bread and butter. Most of our clients are in that, you know, mid to high six figures, couple million dollars um, at most. And then we work across a lot of different industries, um, but like our real niche is the size that we work in. Um, but, you know, we work in a lot of blue collar industries, contractors, tradesmen, um, janitorial services. We also uh, work in professional business services, B2B services, restaurant, retail. Uh, we work with a skincare line, um, you know, some other product development, things like that. So really scans, uh, spans the gamut on industries, but that, that real niche is that, that small business owner. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. And that, by the way, corresponds very closely to the people who are listening to the show. We tend to speak mostly to service businesses in that range you're talking about. So it's a, it's a good match. Um, so let's get into it. So what are some of the strategies that you would recommend to a service business in this kind of 1 million or maybe lower range that will increase the likelihood that their business will sell. Yeah. So I find um, most small businesses have um, three major problems or two of these three, right? But there's, there's, there's three major buckets of problems in the business that makes it um, worth less money than the owner wants it to sell it for or less likely to sell. Um, the first is that the business is too dependent on the owner, right? So it's it's the same if we could take a three or four week vacation, never pick up our phone. That's the ideal kind of um, situation that we're trying to sit in as, a, as an ownership role. Most business owners cannot do that. Um, the business is very reliant on them. And what we found is that there, you know, you don't have to get out of every seat. I think that's unrealistic for small business owners. You hear this terminology in the business brokerage world of owner absentee, where like the owner doesn't do anything. And in small businesses, that's not reality. That rarely happens, right? But it's about um, minimizing the role that the owner has in the business, having redundancies, so they can pass that on to a new, new owner at some point in time. 
Um, so that's the, the first bucket of problems. And there's a lot to unpack there with our clients. You know, how do you get out of uh, which seats are like more valuable to get out of first? How do you tackle it? How do you balance it with the second uh, biggest problem, which is profitability? Um, so most businesses, um, valuation is super complex, but most businesses are sold as a multiple of earnings, um, which is a function of net profit um, called EBITDA. It's an accounting term. It's something... EBITDA is something your accountant can calculate super fast for you, but it's a function of net profit. And most small businesses are more focused on growth and what they're getting out of the business. Um, and they're not super focused on their profitability. So I say, say it's tied into the first, right? Cause we want to remove business owners, but we also like, don't want to do it at the risk of reducing the profitability of the company and just spending all the money on staff and overhead. Um, but that is, um, the second biggest one is just figuring out how do you maximize profitability and make your profitability higher than other businesses like yours in the marketplace. Um, and then the third one we have, and, and we were talking about this in the green room, um, one of your past guests, I, I loved his interview, but his books and records and bookkeeping. Um, so, you know, bookkeeping is not fun and financial records are not fun. I find when I talk to most of our clients, you know, it's the last thing that they want to focus on. But at the end of the day, when you, you go to sell a business, and I think this is not just selling a business. Like if you want to get financing, if you want to pursue an acquisition, anything like that, um, any type of funding, lending, anybody that's going to invest in your business, um, there's an investigation of the books and records and, um, small businesses, I think just don't have necessarily not like the cleanest or focus on their books and records, but also have a, a, a lack of understanding of what those numbers mean and the stories that they tell um, to outsiders who are looking at them. Um, so a lot of work we do with our clients is just unpacking the books and records, helping them understand the story, um, helping them understand, you know, certain things that they do or certain expenses they run through the business, how that affects um, the visibility of the business and what it looks like to a potential buyer or, or lender in the future. So those are the top three buckets of issues. There's, there's about 12 different items that we found that most buyers really highly value when um, acquiring a business, but those are the, the three owner owner's role, profitability and financial cleanliness. Right. Right. We want a business where we don't need the owner that's super profitable and has clean books and records. Oh my. And it's Fantastic. So if you can get it there, like I, I literally, I get like 10 emails a day from people searching for businesses. And that that's like, I joke all the time and I share it like to our clients, like, like the, this is the standard email I get is that I want a business that's super right. clean, very profitable and doesn't need the owner. And like, this, look, Myth those businesses- mythical. Yeah. yeah, they rarely exist. So when I want your listeners to know, like we're not trying to, nobody, no business has to be perfect. You don't have to hit right. those buckets a hundred percent, but just a little bit more focus on them positions, the business so much better. Yeah. So I'm interested in uh, all of that, but uh, the first point about the uh, business not requiring the owner to be there, um, you didn't say the word systems, but I think maybe behind this is sort of the idea of systems because it's not, it's not necessarily like, well, let's just have somebody there instead of me who needs to be there because then we still need somebody there, although it's not the owner. Um, it's really attractive if you have systems and processes in place that kind of make the business run by itself, right? Or that yeah. at least automates a lot of the process so it doesn't isn't so dependent on any one human, right? Yep, totally. So um, you actually hit on two of the points in our method. So when we're looking with, with our clients, we're looking at how they're spending their time. We're looking at all their roles and responsibilities, and we ask them to categorize them into one of four buckets. 
Uh, the first is one they should keep, like that is their highest and best use. They need to do that in the business. The second is automate. Technology can do so much. I mean, I just saw some crazy new technology um, AI chatbot that can basically write, write a term paper for kids, right? I mean, like technology is crazy these days and, and we can automate so many of these simple like button pushing tasks. Uh, the third button or the third bucket is delegate, right? So there is some form of delegation, but that doesn't necessarily have to be to a full-time employee. It could be a current employee you have, maybe a new hire, but you can also look at VAs, contractors, agencies, things like that. Um, and then the last one I think that most people forget about is eliminate. So what I do push our clients to do, and we do this the same thing on the financial side is look at how they're spending their time and their money in the business and asking themselves, is this activity still working? Mm. Um, and is it still necessary? And a lot of times when they really take a hard look at some of those activities, they're doing a lot of things that aren't working or aren't necessary. And we can save ourselves a lot of time doing that. Mm -hmm. Right. So I want to dig in a little bit to what you actually provide people. So do you actually coach the businesses that are ready to sell and guide them through the sale process? I mean, you basically hold their hand from when they send you that email, I'm interested in selling all the way up through the sale? Yeah. So um, with Exit Factor, we, we do mostly the coaching prior to. So the first thing we always start with is what's called an exit assessment. It's like a business valuation, but we take it a step further and we project what the company could wor be worth in the future if some things were fixed and addressed. Mm. Um, and then we give them a roadmap of those milestones and those gaps that we need to solve in order for, from going from today to that future value. Um, from there, they work with a consultant on our team, um, either on a quarterly or, or twice a month basis, depending on their timeline, um, to resolve some of those issues and some of the growth that needs to happen in the business, um, alongside with some online resources and curriculum that we have along the way. Uh, when they do get to the point that they're ready to sell, that's when we hand them over to a professional business broker um, of their choice. We give them a few recommendations, but they take them from the, through there. But in our online curriculum, we do have some heavy education about how the deal process works, um, what types of team members you should hire, how you should interview those team members, what they should be doing for you. Um, I found in, in running our, our business brokerage and M&A practices that the sellers that were most educated about what they were facing through the sale process often ended up with the best deal terms. Um, so we want our exit factor clients to be fully prepared um, going into that process, whether they hire a business broker, an investment banker, and maybe decide to do it on their own. Um, we want to make sure they're they're fully educated on what to expect um, during that timeline. Okay. And how about the fascinating world of negotiation? So the process like, okay, now I'm going to sell my business. We find a buyer. And then the fun begins where we're negotiating about price and, and all the other terms around it. And that's a whole kind of thing unto itself. What's what's your role in the negotiations? So we, at, at Exit Factor, we do not play a role. Now our, our partner business brokers do pay, play a role. So if our, one of our clients decide to hire a business broker, that is, that's their main job, right? So the business broker is there to quarterback the deal. Um, and what they do is they take the, the deal to market, they find buyers, they vet buyers to uh, create a pool of the most important or appropriate buyers, um, create a bidding process, typically if you if you have a very competitive business, and then they help the owner negotiate the terms and all that stuff. 
Um, at Exit Factor, what we do is we do prepare the business owners for that portion of it, right? So like I said, with the education, we talk right. about how to get, how you're going to set your expectations. Um, we teach them about deal structuring and how deal structure is probably more important, definitely more important than valuation. Um, I always say it's, it's great mm -hmm. to have your company valued at $10 million, but if it means you only get a million dollars in cash at the closing table and the rest, the other 90% is and an earnout capacity or seller financing, I'd much rather would have had 5 million in cash at the closing table, right? Mm. So um, we try and educate them about like what's going to be negotiated on because it's not just purchase price. Um, it's everything from how much cash you get at closing um, to you know how the, the deals reported to the IRS and the authorities will affect your, affect your tax rate too. Mm -hmm. That's part of the negotiation. So mm -hmm. again, our role is really just a, about educating, preparing the owners for these are all the things on the table. It's not just what the valuation is going to be at the end of the day. Okay. And just curious, do your clients, is this training that you give them, is it online? Uh, is it, is it, you know, zoom or is it, um, in person or both? How, how do you physically yeah, actually do this? We, um, we were one of those companies that benefited from the pandemic in that regard. We used to do it face-to-face -face and, um, really with the explosion of zoom and other online technologies, we've been able to do everything online, which is, I think one allowed us to grow as a company and, and allowed us to serve clients nationwide, but two, it's become most much more efficient for our clients right? They can do it. I was on the phone earlier with a client and, you know, her son's home, he's got the flu this week. And, right. you know, if we were trying to meet in person that would have gotten pushed off a week or whatever, we just hop on zoom and do a coaching session. So it's, it's actually, we've gotten feedback from clients that they really prefer um, the zoom environment, especially when we're dealing with something that's super confidential and personal like this, they don't want to be in an office and around their employees and, you know, we do a lot of calls with, with our clients that they're at their homes, you know, not, not when during working hours, things like that. Okay. And what is the cost for your services? What should people be prepared to pay for this? Yeah. So our services start at $5,000 a year. So it was super important to me to keep this affordable for small business. That's why we do use a lot of technology and automation in the company. So it starts at $5,000 a year for our quarterly program, which means you get quarterly consulting sessions and then it maxes out at about $30,000 a year. So trying to keep it super affordable for small businesses. Right. And you know, we talked before about, you know, the timeline, some people may be doing this and they want to sell tomorrow, some people off in the distance. So, so for those who are thinking longer term, do they stay with your process for like months and months or even years and years? Do they stay with it for a long time? Yeah. Our average client stays with us for about two years. Um, oh, wow. so yeah, okay. so yeah. we do ask for, um, the, the first full year to be committed, like fully mm -hmm. committed. And then after that, um, you, we have rolling quarterly analysis. Um, so we we're trying to help the business owner also time the right sale of their business. So once they get through one year of the program, every quarter we're reevaluating, are we still on track to keep the company um, or are we going to exit? And um, what I find is after that first year, we have about a third of our people that decide it's time to exit, right? I'm, I'm going to exit. Um, a third will be continuing to renew and stay on track of their timeline. Um, and then a third actually extend their timeline because they've gotten more money and more time back in the business. They're starting to enjoy it again. Um, and they might push out that exit where before they were super burnout and now they're feeling a little bit more energized. 
Yeah, interesting. So are there certain businesses that are more popular for buyers to buy, meaning uh, that are more attractive just kind of on average than others? Like what's an easy business to sell versus a difficult? You know, I heard you in a previous podcast, you were talking about boring businesses. Like are boring businesses more attractive than exciting businesses? Um, I think it, it fluctuates so much with buyer interest. Like there's just like, I feel like sometimes, and, and I know there, there is like buyer classes and things like that, where like a group of buyers will hear like roofing's the new hot industry. And then they'll all go after roofing. Um, I, I think there's a lot of demand across all small business sectors. There will be times where certain industries pop and like, for some reason, the multiples just shoot up. So for example, um, insurance agencies, a couple of years ago, the, the multiples just started to skyrocket. And, and our advice to anybody sitting in that industry was like, look, these, these multiples do not make sense. These valuations are too high. You should sell. Like if you're thinking about selling, if you're on the fence, like do it now. This it's like, you know, it's like a housing bubble. This isn't gonna last, right? Mm. Um, so insurance is like that. Um, we've seen similar cases with in, investment firms like wealth management firms in the last few years. Um, property management firms are, are close on that that side. There's a really high demand in there. But everything else like pretty much stays steady. I think if you, the, going back to those three buckets we talked about, if the business doesn't depend on you, if it produces a profit and you know you have clean financial records, you'll have competition from buyers no matter what industry that you're in. Yeah, so. that's great, great, great advice. Um, we've been talking a lot about sellers. I think what, let's talk about the buyers for a minute. Um, what are some of the key kind of do's and don'ts for the buyer? Yeah. Well, I love this question. Um, so my first piece of advice always is don't be a jerk. Right. So, um, I, I, it's funny because I think, I think sometimes buyers don't understand the position they're actually in. So there's way less businesses to buy than there are buyers available in the market. So when a good business, one that hits those three buckets that we just talked about goes to the market, we'll see on average about 100 to 200 qualified buyers for that business. So mm. like buyers, you are competing for those businesses, right? And the majority of the marketplace of small business owners, these are people that started this business out of passion, right? And almost 50% of them now are baby boomers too. So they've been running these businesses for 10, 20, 40 years. Sometimes they are, I say in my book, it's like their baby, but it, it literally is part of their family. And I see buyers come in and they're hypercritical about how the businesses run and they phrase their questions in very critical ways. And it's a, it can be perceived as offensive to the sellers. And I've seen way too many clients on the sell side say, I don't care what that guy offers. He's a jerk. I'm never selling to him. Um, so that's my number one piece of advice for buyers. <laughs> um, the second is because you are competing, like have your ducks in a row. Um, you know, another way to really um, get kicked out of, of the, the process or being qualified for a business is to not um, know where your funding's coming from. So if you're going to be a cash buyer, make sure you have the ability to prove that if you're going to be working with a lender already have pre-qualification and your lender relationships done, make sure you're working with banks that are credible and they've done a lot of SBA deals in the past. If you're going to use one of those. Um, and if you are doing some fundraising, make sure you have um, at least committed, if not funded capital, not just, um, you know, potential capital. 
Um, so that's, that's my two biggest pieces of advice for buyers. Don't be a jerk and just, you know, make sure you're, you're actually ready to buy and you're not just window shopping. So, yeah, that's great advice. Um, so you've written a book. Uh, the uh, book is uh, about, you know, how to exit your business. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what, you know, the purpose was in writing the book and, and how it's gone so far? Yeah. So I get the, the number one question I get is, you know, how do I, how do I structure my business? So it'll sell for the most money. And I, um, I think like a lot of, um, business owners, I just get those phone calls like, Hey, can I take you to coffee and just like pick your brain about this <laughs> question? And honestly, I can't answer that question over a cup of coffee. Like we can't cover everything over our, our, you know, our time together today. So I just started keeping notes and that book is my answer to that question in about 150 pages. Um, so it, I, again, I wanted to make sure that small business owners had all the resources and understood the entire marketplace of businesses and, and how they can position theirs the best. Um, and I also want to do it easily digestible. So the first half of the book is, is more of a traditional uh, nonfiction written format. And the second half is all just top 10 lists, like the top 10 things SBA buy, uh, bankers will look for during due diligence. Like, you know, the top 10 questions to ask a buyer, the top 10 questions you're going to get asked if you're a seller, that kind of stuff. Um, so we launched the book in April, um, hit number one bestseller status in multiple categories in Amazon and had pretty amazing feedback. So it's been a, it's been a journey, um, but I, I really enjoyed the book process and writing, and it's been even more rewarding from the feedback we've gotten from, from readers too. Very cool. So not only are you an expert advisor, but you are a best-selling author. Uh, that's, that's tremendous. Well, uh, Jessica, we'll be back in just a minute. Uh, we're going to do a quick break. And afterwards, I want to ask you a few more personal questions about, um, you and, and, uh, your, uh, work setup. I know you, you, you partner with your husband, uh, in this business. So I, I want to ask you about that. We'll be right back. This episode of winning on main street is brought to you by thrive the end-to-end -end client experience platform that includes everything small business owners need to meet their customers' expectations. Thrive's award-winning and fully mobile interface delivers technology previously reserved for big business to the fingertips of small business owners nationwide. Thrive's built specifically for small business, but there's nothing small about what it can do. Thrive handles your entire customer experience, helping business owners reach more customers, stay organized, get paid faster, and generate online reviews, all from a single device or screen. To learn more about Thrive, visit winningonmainstreet.com and click on Get a Demo. When it comes to software to run your business, there's no comparison. Check out Thrive today. And we're back with Jessica Fjalkovic. Uh, we're going to get to some of those personal questions I mentioned in just one second, but I have one or more, two more uh, timely questions I wanted to ask you about, which are, how much do economic conditions affect sellers? Like everybody's worried today, right? Uh, interest rates are skyrocketing, inflation's you know all the rage. There's a war overseas. You know, there's all this bad stuff happening. Is this a bad time to sell? What What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's really, it's an interesting time to sell. And we've been watching the metrics super closely. Um, look, I think the biggest macroeconomic factor um, that we look at is supply and demand, right? So we just talked about that there is way less supply and way more demand in the market in any given time. And actually, sometimes when we enter like these 
uncertain periods and we see things like a lot of the tech companies are doing major layoffs and some corporate companies doing major layoffs, it's actually infusing more demand into, or mm-hmm. yeah, more demand into our marketplace. Um, because one thing people are very surprised to hear is that most business buyers are people coming from corporate. So about 80% of the business buyer market are people leaving corporate jobs and entering entrepreneurship through acquisition. So if we think about that, sometimes challenging economic conditions can help um, the business for sale market. Now, there's other things um, that we are watching, like inflation is very key for small business owners. And and we've been working with all our clients to make sure that they're increasing their costs or reducing their expenses at the same rate that their expenses are going up because of inflation. Um, Interest rates too, I just mentioned, like most buyers do use some type of lending service. Um, You know, they've settled, I think, and we are still seeing adequate um, business lending rates for for SBA loans and things like that. Um, Most of the major banks actually have some really competitive rates right now um, because of their cost of capital is way cheaper. So we're in a pretty stable environment. The last two years have really been a very seller favorable market. And I think we're plateauing right now, but we're not seeing a decline. Hmm. And during the pandemic, uh, we heard a lot of people jumping from uh, you know, great resignation, jumping out of their corporate job and starting a business. That seemed to be the thing. And we all the headlines were starting business. But were people jumping out of corporate jobs and buying businesses too? Was that something? Was that a thing? That was a thing. Um, yeah. So from our from the buyer um, inquiry numbers from t- 2019 to same time period in 2021, the number of buyer inquiries quadrupled. Um, yeah, so it's settled a bit now, but we're still like my brokerage offices are still running about double what we were in 2019 volume. Um, so yeah, that great resignation infused a ton of demand um, into the, the buyer market. So. Huh. Wow, fascinating. So on to the personal questions. I understand you run this business with your husband, Al, I think that's his name. Um, How is it working as as a husband and wife team? How do you divide up the work and do you drive each other crazy? Yeah, so um, we've been working together uh, since about three months in our relationship. That that corporate job we got laid off of, we were working um, together in that too. We started the first wine business together. So it's been a, a learning process. Um, we operate on what's called for us divide and conquer. Um, we have very different abilities in the business. And the, the times we've had missteps is when we try and step on each other's toes and, and do things together, right? Um, and that's been both missteps in our relationship where we haven't like communicated well or gotten along. Right. But it's also been missteps in the business where we've slowed our growth, um, or made it less efficient. And so every time that's happened, we've taken, taken a step back and we literally have just always split our businesses in half and been like, all right, this is your responsibility. So like in the, in the brokerage businesses, which I actually no longer play an active role in, um, I'm just on the board. Um, but when we were building them, he ran the whole sales side and I ran the support and back end. Um, and that's how, that's how we built and grew the company. Um, we did the same thing with the wine business. He ran sales, um, and buying, and I ran marketing and like more of our location customer service stuff. Hmm. So it's working well. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, I, I don't know any different, um, exit factor. He's actually not a part of, um, my mentor is my 50% partner in that. So it's, uh, really, uh, 
I'd say the second business that Al's not been a partner uh, with me, my, my sister and I bought a virtual assistant company um, that we ran together for a couple of years before I sold my interest to her. So, wow. um, but yeah, we've, you know, we, he is a, he, my husband's a great business partner. We've done great things together. Terrific. Well, you got a lot of irons in the fire. So you're, I understand originally from Jersey and now you're in Colorado or Florida, which is it? Yeah. So that's, that's actually my, men my mentor's favorite question is like, where do you live today? Um, so we recently moved to Texas. So we have um, business brokerage offices in Colorado, Texas, and Las Vegas, and then um, Exit Factor, which I own with my mentors headquartered out of Florida. Um, so we moved to Texas because it's equidistant between Colorado and Florida, and it's a lot easier to get around. Um, where it was, We were in Colorado for almost uh, 15 years total, loved it. Um, don't really want to shovel snow anymore in the middle of the winter. So I understand that. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Jersey, though, where you grew up, you seem to be enamored with Bruce Springsteen. I, I noticed Bruce Springsteen on your website. So is that just the Jersey girl in you coming out, all the Bruce Springsteen motif? Yeah. So, I mean, look, I grew up in Jersey and, you know, Bruce is kind of a legend there. So yeah. you kind of, you, you know, I think most people from Jersey either love or hate them, hate him. Most of us love him. Love yeah. Um, but so I I've been a fan since I was a teenager, but when, um, I did leave Jersey and, and my sisters did too, I'm one of three girls. Um, we, we were living in different States. And so we started going to his live shows together when he would tour. And, um, so that's been going on for about 15 years now. So whenever oh. he tours, um, we'll go, I think this year he's touring in 2023 and we're planning on seeing somewhere between 10 and 15 shows across the U S and we're doing our oh. first international show too. Nice. Um, so it's, it's, it's part Bruce and Bruce live is amazing. And I love him. I also think he's a great entrepreneur. I mean, he's yeah. built and run one of the most successful bands, but it's also about connecting with my sisters and family time. Oh, that's great. Great. Love it. Yeah. I saw my first Springsteen concert. I remember I was, I was really just a kid. My brother was going to Colgate university up in new mm -hmm. york and i saw springsteen in 1975 it was right after born to run i think it had just kind of, he was like a young kid at that point yeah. and was, i was just mesmerized but uh yeah that was fun yeah. um so where can people learn more about you and what you're doing how do they find you yeah thanks for asking gordon we actually put a, together a landing page for your listeners if they go to exitfactor.com backslash podcast um there's some free resources on there and then you can also get in contact with me via email or social media if you have any further questions terrific well jessica thank you so much for coming on our show again the book is getting the most for selling your business and it's jessica fialkovich thanks you were uh lovely to have on the show thanks gordon and I want to also thank our producer, Tim Alleman, and our coordinators, Diet Barnett and Daniel Huddleston. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a colleague, friend, or family to subscribe, and please leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us in the rankings. Until next time, make it a great week.